0: Welcome to a special episode of Calling a City to Life podcast from Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. This is our, we call it a QA, but it's really a question and response because Zena's already pointed out, having seen the questions, he's not sure that we actually know. Obviously, all the answers. So we'll give you a reply, and hopefully that will enlighten us some more about what everybody is thinking and the questions that people are asking. But first of all, good morning, everybody. Brody, are you well slept? You've had a bit of a week. I am. I'm well slept. Thank you. How did yesterday's festivities go? There were some festivities yesterday.
1: Yesterday was great. Ian was great at leading the service. It was just a really nice day. And perhaps, I guess a highlight for me was hearing people's speeches about Callum and Aaron. That was cool. that was really nice. And for the listeners who, who don't know, my son got married yesterday, Ian led the, the service and it was just a good day.
0: And I heard there were board games towards the end, did you win at battleships?
1: No, I just, I did the social thing and just mingled, so I didn't play any games. People seemed to think that I had a hand in putting it was a quiz, I had nothing to do with the quiz, I had no <laughs> idea about the answers, so I, was, I was, wasn't much help to anybody.
0: Great stuff. Uh, Ian, how are you this morning?
2: Uh, Good to be with everybody. Um, Yeah, it was a great wedding yesterday. Um, My big question really is how did we do in the tabletop quiz? Um, We had to go before the answers came out. Um, So I'm not sure whether um, my table were at the bottom or near the top. But anyway, it's all fair. The top score was 45. So oh, right. the Tulletts table,
1: and uh, the the McCulloch table, right, were tied in
2: forty five each. Oh well, we could we couldn't have done as good as that then.
3: This is an opportunity to discover. Are you quite competitive?
2: In certain things, especially
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love that
2: geography quizzes. That's me. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so we were getting really serious about some of the geography questions.
0: Would it be Would it be appropriate to suggest a podcast? Pub quiz team? No, No.
3: (laughs) because I'm no use on it. (laughs) Ah, great stuff, Jack. How are you? I'm good. I'm just really impressed by discovering that Ian is competitive. That just—I mean—I always thought he was awesome, and now I think he's even cooler.
2: (laughs) What worries me is that I've seemed to have kept my competitive streak quiet and secretive. So I don't know what that says about it.
3: We need to unleash it. That's what it says. Well,
0: let's see if it comes through in any of the answers to these questions. So, lady, gentlemen, there is a, a wide variety of questions. We may or may not get through them all, so apologies to those who have sent some in if they don't get included, but we'll do them all eventually. I have rated them. I have not told you, although you have heard, listened, read the questions. I've not told you how I've rated them, but I've rated them one through five, one being the nice, relaxing Intro question through to five, which is the barnstormer question uh, and the one that would probably take up the whole show. So I'm gonna, I'm tempted to spin a wheel, but I think, I think, seeing as Ian's competitive, let's get Ian to suggest the first number. So, Ian, between one and five, pick a question number.
2: Oh, well, three's right in the middle, isn't it? So let's go for three.
0: Three's right in the middle. So, this is a question from Colin McIntyre. You will now hear Colin's dulcet tones. This is Colin McIntyre. I've got
2: a question,
1: probably around
0: one of my favourite things, which is
1: worship. I wonder whether people prefer some of the new songs that are kicking about just
0: now, or how do they feel about some of the old hymns? Are they kind of resonating just now? It's always good to get a bit of feedback on that. So there is Colin's question. Golden Oldie or Newfangled? What is your preference in worship songs? Uh, Do you see, does it come as a phase? We've all been around for a long time. What is your favorite worship song right now, Ian?
2: Well, with apologies to Colin, I'm not going to answer that question because I have (laughs) a a little story of uh, how God has convicted me about that question and how I should answer uh, that question. So I have a very specific conviction. God has done a number on me about this. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are old songs that I dislike. Um, there are old songs where um, I have to swallow hard with some of the lines where I don't necessarily agree with the theology. And there are new songs uh, that I have to swallow hard <laughs> with some of the theology. Um, so I, it's for me, this is not a matter of, uh, of taste or of, Preference, and um, there are some old songs I love, and there are some new songs I loved. But this is my conviction. Um, mm-hmm. So here we go, Colin. Worship songs. Okay. Worship. <laughs> worship songs are not an end in themselves; they are a vehicle. And um, in my life, I have travelled in a variety of vehicles. I have travelled in an ox cart, mm-hmm. and I have travelled in an executive jet. <laughs> Can I just say the executive jet was a freebie, um, so I didn't even have to pay <laughs> for it. And I enjoyed both ends of the spectrum, and they both did a job. And a number of years ago, the Lord said to me, it wasn't my job to check and make preferences about songs, uh, but to appreciate that they are vehicles that are intended to get us to a destination. Uh, and sometimes you will be travelling in an ox cart, and you've got to appreciate and enjoy that. And sometimes you might be travelling in a an executive jet which is you know has beautiful poetry and fantastic um chords and you know symphonic arrangements and all of that. But actually the important point is that it is a vehicle to get you to your place. Um and so for me it's all about am I committed to traveling in that vehicle and using what I am given in order to get to that place of, of worship.
3: That is an absolutely brilliant answer. Well, I... I absolutely love that, Ian. So good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes from a place of... A place that probably lots of us get into, where we maybe just kind of get into muttering before the Lord and going, I really don't like that. Why did I have to sing mm-hmm. that? Um, Or, mm-hmm. what on earth does that line actually really mean? And can I actually really say it? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there are things like that... I, I mean, worship has an education, a pedagogical, pedicolo- I can't even say that word, but it's... it's... Pedagogical. See, he can't say it either. Um, but <laughs> it, 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 it teaches <laughs> us things. So that it is vitally important what we sing. But I do think, and, and the music enables us to sing things in a way that, that elevates the words to worship. But I think we've also got to get over ourselves a little bit. It isn't actually about us. It is a vehicle for us to express something to the Lord. And obviously, sometimes we can do that better than others. I would like to see, if I've got a little bit of time as well, I would like to see us singing more songs that are, have an international resonance. I'd like to represent the cultures of the world. I'd also, almost contradictorily, would like to see us singing songs that have more of a local kind of flavour to it as well. And I think challenge out there to worship songwriters and poets that sometimes I think our language our, um, of, of worship is limited. I think there's a lot more things and a lot more ways we could express our worship to God that would have that educational, would expand our thinking uh, and our awareness of who God is. So just a little challenge.
0: Well, that was a three out of five question. Just wait till you get to the five out of five ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, I'm sure you've got an opinion.
3: I mean, I love what Ian has said. I I was brought up in a tradition that I sang a lot of things as a kid that I did not understand or that, you know, looking back, that I, again, wouldn't have agreed with a lot of the theology. And I learned as a small child to worship with what I had um, and that it was my heart posture because it was really easy to see something coming that I was going to have to sing that I did not enjoy. And the importance for me was realizing that Worshipping God was what was important, so it was my heart posture. Um, so I very much agree with Ian. I mean, this I could go on about this for a very long time, and I won't because there's lots of other questions coming. <laughs> Brody, people might
1: think that Ian and I sit and discuss these kind of things over coffee in a Tuesday morning or, a, or whatever, and and we really don't. So it's always fascinating on the podcast actually finding out what each other think. And I think I'm in a very similar place to a uh, Ian of so I'm not, I mean, so the worship leaders or are, are different people will, will mention, oh, I listened to a song by such and such. And I'm like, who? I have no idea. It's, it's not really, you know, for me, worship is about being with God's people or singing worship is about being with God's people. And we personal story, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I went through a phase where I couldn't, I couldn't sing the worship song because I was over-analyzing them. I was going, we're singing nonsense again. And there was one song that I could sing, um, shout out to Scott Alexander. It was a song that he had written and that he would uh, lead the QP. And then kinda like God worked on me, and I kinda like realised, actually, my not singing was not just withholding my worship to God, but was withholding something from the people around about me. Um, you know, we gather together as a community to worship. And I've been struck of, when we did kind of like the series in Paul, however many weeks ago, I was struck through reading kind of like a number of Paul's letters and things like that. How often he says, and I'm paraphrasing this now, do this to build up the church. You know, your aim should be to build up the church. Build each other up. And therefore, it doesn't really matter for me whether the song is aligned with my personal preferences, whether I like the style of worship, the speed that we're going, all that sort of stuff. It's an opportunity for me to worship God. It's an opportunity for me to build each other up. And therefore... I want to grab that. both
3: Good answer. I'm but
0: a simple drummer. If they could write some songs that are not just in four four, that would suit me.
2: I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking, Richard. What would a worship waltz actually sound like? If yeah, we we're exactly. in three four time, what would that be?
0: There are some rare worship songs in three four. In Christ Alone comes close sometimes to being in three four, but uh, not quite. So there we go. But we have. Plenty more questions, so Brody, let's give it your turn. We've got rid of our three; there are no more three questions left. So you have a choice of two twos. Let's go for number one. Let's go for number number one. one. Okay, this is from Laura.
3: Hi guys, my question is: Who would each of you invite to your fantasy dinner party? You'd like to invite four guests, and the rules are that one is alive, one is dead. One is a biblical character and one is a fictional character. Cheers.
0: So there is Laura's question. <laughs> On the one hand, a straightforward question. On the other hand, probably something you could spend hours thinking about. But you've not got hours, Brody. You have got but seconds.
1: Yeah. So this w- this will probably change uh, every time somebody asks me it. Somebody alive just now. Simon Reeves, the kind of like the documentary film maker. Yeah, yeah. He reminds me of Andy Bateman in the way that he (laughs) talks, Um, apart from he's got a (laughs) phrase that Andy wouldn't use because Andy's too polite. But I just think he's (laughs) a fascinating character and actually having read his biography, he was shaped early in his life by church. So it'd be kind of like interesting just to have a conversation with him, hear about some of his travels and his his passion, and he just comes across as a really empathetic kind of person. So that's uh, Somebody Alive. Uh, somebody biblical. Uh, Mary or Martha. I'd love just to kind of like find out that dynamic and kind of Yeah, I think yeah. So that that's that's
0: my biblical person. Who else is somebody dead? Somebody somebody fictional and somebody dead. Oh, somebody fictional and somebody dead. I can dead. see Ian scribbling away here, trying to get his list in order.
1: <laughs> so controversial view, uh origin. I would go for origin just to find okay. out. So, Origin, how much of uh, On First Principles did you actually <laughs> write, and how much has been edited by Jerome, who actually hated you? Why did he dislike you so much? So that would be, that would be uh, my dead dinner guest. And fictional. You know, oh, uh, I don't know. That's really hard. Oh, so Jaber Crow from Wendell Berry's book of the same title. Okay, uh, that I have no idea what that is. Uh, so. so everybody should read *Jaber Crow* by Wendell Berry, and when you uh-huh. read them talking about farming and the land of for farm, think parish or church, uh-huh. uh, and the land thinking like how we live and our spirituality.
0: Cool. I'll try and find that, and we'll stick it in the show notes. Ian, have you prepared your list? Have you checked it? Find out who's been naughty and nice.
2: Absolutely not. I knew when you said this question, I thought this is the one that's going to be the hardest, actually, of all. So <laughs> um, I think this is open to revision, um, probably on an hourly basis. So
0: um, yeah, what do you want to first? I mean, living, you're welcome to invite one of us if it's difficult.
2: Yeah, I think you guys. I could, so the Alive was the one that I found difficult. So like present company, except I, I think you guys are just so good at asking questions that you'd be great dinner guests. So yeah, I'm going to go for that.
0: <laughs> okay, dead biblical and fictional. Okay,
2: dead for a dinner guest. I've gone for Martin Luther because I just think that would be really funny. Um, I think he'd be a great dinner guest. I think he would just say really things that annoyed everybody, wound everybody up. He'd be great on a podcast. And if he could bring his wife, it would be even better, because I think they might even have a public argument. So I'm going to go for Martin Luther. <laughs> uh, if I can't <laughs> can get Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, I think would be great as a dinner guest as well. I think just a lot of things that, um, to dig into in in his story and his perspective.
0: And then fictional would have to be the Luther guy who's also the detective, presumably. So you could have a full set of Luther.
2: Um, no fictional. I've gone for Winston Smith from Nineteen Eighty Four, because I'd like right. I'd like to sit him down and say, "Have a look at the world around about you just now." Did <laughs> <laughs> Did George get it right? Um, even though that wasn't George Orwell's real name, but anyway, um, my. My question, yeah, I think it would be really interesting because there just seems to be so many things in contemporary society that were predicted in 1984. Um, So I would like to kind of find out, is this what you thought I might have happened?
0: Excellent. Jack, you've got to have a shot of this, surely?
3: Did we get all four of Ian's?
2: No, you've not got my biblical one. So, I mean, the kind of obvious one is you'd like to set Paul down and go, so... What exactly did you mean by that? What did you exactly mean by that? So, <laughs> but that's so obvious. I thought, I'm going to go for Phoebe um, because Phoebe was the letter carrier who was charged with the task of taking the letter of Romans to the Roman Christians. And she would have been given the responsibility of explaining um, and teaching on Romans to the Roman Christians. So Paul, I would have assumed, would have really briefed her well. So she would have the kind of definitive answers to what the book of Romans was all about. So um I, I think Phoebe would be a great person to have at the dinner table. And put that alongside Martin Luther.
0: That's <laughs> that's a fight right yeah, there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we've discovered that as well as Ian being competitive, he also like scrap it. <laughs> uh, uh, Jack, your turn.
3: Okay, I can be very quick. Uh, fictionally, Nobody's going to be surprised on this show. I would have Josiah Bartlett from the television show The West Wing um, yeah, because he just feels like the kind of leader that you would like to talk to, especially when you consider word, world politics right now.
1: Jackie, I've never seen The West Wing, so I've got no idea who that is.
3: Oh, Brody. I, like, I mean,
0: Brody, you've been yeah, deprived. Okay, that's a whole
3: We're going yeah. to start a
0: spin-off show called <laughs> Never Seen The West Wing. <laughs> and lead in by hand (laughs) through all the episodes.
3: So um, then my biblical character would be Moses. I mean, for a lot of obvious reasons, he's gonna have some chat, isn't he? But he also makes me think of my mum, who's no longer alive because she always wanted to speak to Moses. That was the conversation we used to have all the time was, there would be a lot of conversation to have with that man. Alive character, I'd have Andy Murray. To me, the greatest sportsman of all time. Absolutely love the guy. His dry sense of humor just lights me up. Real conversationalist they are. <laughs> he oh, is though. He's so underappreciated. <laughs> he's so underappreciated. He's brilliant. And my dead person, I'd uh, love to speak to Corey boom I think cool. she would be great for a conversation yeah. as well. That she also would have a lot to say. So there you go. I'm not sure mine would like light up the world or anything, but as a group, but there
0: you go. I mean Andy Murray and Corey Tenboom, what's that conversation gonna be like?
3: <laughs> You know what? It might happen in heaven. We can it pray for be. that. You never know.
0: You never know. <laughs> Great stuff. I, I contemplated this for two minutes and thought, does does Jesus fulfill all four of those categories depending on your positional status? Alive, dead, biblical, and to some people fictional? So that was my simple simple get out of jail card. That's a definite wriggle out of the question.
3: <laughs> it really is.
0: It's either that or this show is gonna be like four hours long. Yeah, so, so keep going. There we go. <laughs> Right, Jack, we have got rid of the number one, so you have two twos, a four, and a five.
3: Oh, five. Let's go straight there.
0: Five, okay. Five is Joe's question, which isn't an audio one, so I will read it. I'd love to hear a discussion on a relationship with authority. Sometimes we can experience a great connection with those in authority, and sometimes we feel a huge disconnect. Are there particular pitfalls and benefits that are helpful to be aware of in our relationship with authority figures in our lives? What can we take responsibility for in ourselves when we don't see eye-to-eye with individuals in these positions? Is the answer to these questions any different when they're asked in relation to church leadership structures? And just to be transparent, Joe's completely behind all the pastors and leadership team of the church. (laughs) <laughs> so there's your five question which is about 19 questions in one I think who wants to have a go first?
1: I'm still trying to work out what the
2: question means so okay. somebody else can go first <laughs> I, I will kind of have a badge um, just really to set the table for Brodie um, a little <laughs> bit, um, give him a chance to think, I mean it is a question with a question with a question isn't it so um, this is not really uh an answer um i think what just struck me in in joe's question is just around the nature of authority and what authority is as it as it kind of manifests in human beings and i think you know we are really wrestling with that issue whether it's in politics or business or or church these days um i was thinking about i think it's max weber who talked about the difference between what he calls charismatic authority and I think institutional uh, authority. Um, and so charismatic authority is the celebrity person, the populist leader, the character that people are really drawn to because you know they're entrepreneurial and so on. And there's a really powerful magnetism in that kind of a person. And I think we've seen quite a lot of that kind of a leadership. And it's a leadership that that draws people in um and and actually perhaps even some of the difficulties we've seen with churches imploding and leadership falling apart has been around some of that kind of charismatic leadership so i think in our current culture that's a very strong um, theme and it's something that does draw us out and then on the other hand we have this kind of more institutional leadership or traditional leadership and that's just not as cool and trendy and it takes more time to do things um and it's not that one is necessarily right on and one is wrong but I, I think there's something about finding both that entrepreneurial creative responsive to god' charismatic kind of relational leadership and also blending it in some kind of way with the structures of accountability that you get in so-called institutional leadership and i think that's quite a difficult thing in these days because people don't let institutions people are wary of structures and yet these are the things that provide stability uh, enable things to be sustained and provide structures that have a level of of safety within them so yeah i, I think a sort of initial kind of response to joe is that all leadership is flawed We are vulnerable to being narcissists. We are vulnerable to distorting, to coercive control. All of those things are present, and perhaps as we have more power and authority, these things become more of a temptation. So there needs to be mechanisms by which we actually have leadership that doesn't go toxic but has um, accountability and responsibility built.
3: And are those things different then depending on whether or not you're talking about leadership in church or leadership in the workplace and in countries and so on?
1: There's, there's some crossover, but there's obviously like a theology here. And for us, specifically a Baptist theology. So dunking people in some water is not what makes Baptists distinct because lots of different church traditions do that. It's one of the things. But one of the Baptist distinctivenesses is, is how we understand power and to understand that leaders are flawed and that power can erupt and change us. And therefore, you know, ultimate authority lies with the headship of Christ. And I think as well of, I first and foremost, am your brother in Christ. And our starting point for our relationships, and I think this all comes down to the relationship, is that we are um, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and therefore there's a flattening of the structure. It's not a high hierarchy, as it were, of a, a narrow uh, uh, top. And therefore it, it, it comes down uh, to relationships. So sometimes with somebody who's an authority, and you don't quite like it's just personal um chemistry um, to to the certain extent. Um but then there's that kind of like mutual submission to each other of recognising God has called this person to, to lead us and get behind them. Um but the person who's in leadership then also sometimes may say, I'm unsure where we're going. Let's think about this together, because again, that's one of our baptist distinctives of of we we uh, discern the mind of Christ corporately and not just as uh, as individuals. And I think friendship's got to play something in uh, this as well. And I think uh, the bigger a church becomes, the harder that is to achieve. Because if you're a church of 50, then the relational distance between you and Whoever is in the leadership is, is, is smaller. The opportunity to spend quality time together is perhaps much more achievable. As soon as you get above a hundred, or then then just the sheer numbers of that make it more difficult. So the relational depth and strength that different people have with somebody who's in in Christian leadership is going to vary because do you know what if Ian was to if Ian was to have dinner with kind of like everybody in the church, a eh, he would to do an awful lot of exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, that's that's where, that's where it was going eh. I can um, tell. But 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 just there's there's not just not the time for that is as, eh, as well, isn't there? Um, so there's there's that in play, but but kind of like having that, and I think one of the things that we've all been learning as well of, and this is a this is a. a challenges of how as leaders do we display some kind of like openness and vulnerability um, in which we can like model approachability i think part of the challenge is is that is that some people want their leaders to be all sorted and can like that strong leader and therefore it's difficult to kind of like sometimes say do you know what i'm not sure where we're going because people want you to have all the answers and say, well, I don't have all the answers, but we together perhaps have the answers. I don't know whether that helps with Joe's question or not, but I think that relationship-friendship bit is is key.
3: I think when she says, what can we take responsibility for in ourselves when we don't see eye-to-eye with individuals in these positions, makes me wonder about our responsibility because oftentimes all of us will have been in situations whether you know in the workplace or in church when, when a leadership have made a decision that we don't agree with and i'm thinking particularly of the law of reaping and sowing for example that how we respond to our service to another and our submission to another um is sowing into our own future because we have a responsibility to serve others well in the hope that we too would have people who would serve us in other circumstances and also would serve us well. I realize that, you know, in other settings could feel like an abuse of power, but it's the thing of our responsibility to submit to another person's vision, particularly in a church context, is really life-giving because actually sometimes just being able to join on to someone else's vision is what God is calling you into and actually the the responsibility therefore to commit yourself to it is is really really important even when it's not your own
2: yeah I want to say maybe two things about that Jackie I think and they're kind of slightly contradictory but I think they come into tension one is I think we have an obligation to dissent and I think that is true across across the board so You know, if you are in an organisation and you are being told to do something that you believe to be wrong, then you need to call that out. Or if you're in an environment where you're being asked to do something that's unethical, then you need to say that that's wrong. I think you then, and this is maybe the other side of it, you you then have a decision to make. And I think one of the things Mm -hmm. I've found really helpful is to think not so much about agreement, but about alignment and so I might not agree with something but I will choose to align with that I'm not suggesting that we agree or align with something that's unethical but if we're thinking mm-hmm. about something that's maybe strategic or a project or you know we might want to go that that's absolutely fine I, you know I'm very happy for for that to support you in that but I actually you know that's I can't do that um And I think we need to give people that kind of space, particularly in the church context, because we are all in different places. We're all in growth mode. There are things that I have said in the past that I no longer agree with, so I cannot follow myself. And we need to have that sort of space Mm. in order to allow people to grow. And leaders, you know, need to find security in God and not in everybody following them dutifully. So that idea of having space to call things out I mean even I mean you've got the Nathan and David situation is the classic isn't it you know Nathan goes and says you're the king that doesn't mean you can do anything you like um you know here is a situation where you have been abusive and he calls it out so we do need to be able to do that and as Brody says we are brothers and sisters first of all before we're in any kind of matrix of responsibility so we have to call one another out into uh, allegiance to Jesus and faithful discipleship, and that's a kind of first responsibility so I would, I would kind of say that there's that obligation to call things out um but there's also the challenge to say, you know these are my brothers and sisters am I walking with them in alignment with them
3: it's a hugely layered issue mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. there because it depends
1: final thought from myself on on the of I think as well, decisions have a context, don't they? You know, there's there's an environment in which decisions are made and, and the decision that we make at one point might not be the decision we make at another point because context has changed the the, 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 the parameters which are pressing on of, you know, there's there's occasions where, do you know what, there's not much of a decision to be made because you just have to do something and there's, there's very limited options. But I think, you know, thinking personally of my, you know, um, of seeing decisions made that I have kind of, why was that decision made of, of realising, do you know what, I don't have all the all the facts at hand of all the different factors that were in play at that. And that's, that's where I guess there's that element of trust, isn't it, of, do you know what, those who've had all the facts in play um, have prayed about this, or about this, have dissented amongst each other, have wrestled with it. And there's sometimes in leadership we make decisions that do you know what we, we grieve over because we realise that do you know what there's that the ideal is not achievable. Eh, in some respects, that we've had to make a hard decision and eh, and it's not ideal, but we had to make a decision to move yeah, to, to go forward or, or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's hard. We see that biblically of, of people making decisions and and people not being able to follow where the leaders
2: were going because, um, because it was a hard place to go. And I think in a church context you know, we cannot do everything you know, and the leaders are not just there to facilitate everything that everybody might want to do so there's a sense in which there's a a discerning process that leadership have to do because there's a wider perspective that you should have as a leader. So, you know, all the other moving parts and you're able to say, you know, we can do this, we can't do everything, but this is what we believe fits into what we uh, sense God saying to us at the moment. And so there's that kind of current context as well that, we set leaders aside to make some of those difficult uh, ongoing decisions, and sometimes you make decisions that are not the decisions you'd want to do <laughs> you know and that's leadership is that you know you have to look at the circumstances Brody says and you have to look at what you've been given and the resources that you have, and then you have to make decisions that you know you would rather make a much easier decision or you know you would rather do something that makes more people happy or whatever it might be but that's not what you're there for and, and sometimes it is making a decision and other people don't have all the facts and you have to stand up, put your head above the parapet and and take a difficult decision, believing that that's for the sake of the Lord's purposes and the best for his people.
3: Yeah, and there's the, I believe there really is a grace in church leadership on, on both sides. I I feel there's, in a healthy leadership situation, there is a grace for serving someone else's vision, even if that's not your own i I do think that um that there is something wonderful about choosing to serve somebody else in a season where they have a great vision and it's maybe not yours um because I think there's something really powerful in doing that spiritually, but again, that's prefaced on the healthy leadership and so on, <laughs>
1: yeah, I said final thought. I've got another final thought. <laughs> Of going back to where Ian was with talking about worship as, as a vehicle, of of leadership as a vehicle, it's not an end in itself. And I think one of the big dangers is, I've been reflecting on this recently, of the change in our language of we talk about Christian leaders rather than a minister or a pastor or whatever. And there's something good in that, because I think it's an attempt to widen that out of, you know, it's not just the professional paid people that are involved in uh, leadership, but but leadership's there for ministry, isn't it? It's there to enable ministry, uh, whether that's internal to the church of ministering to each other or external in mission and evangelism. Um, But leadership is, is a vehicle to enable people to be released into their giftings in God that they might minister to each other. Into a world that's, that's hurting, and I think there's a danger when when we make kind of like leadership the goal, and we need to keep that ministry aspect of, of what is leadership for, um, and keep asking ourselves a hey, a hey, 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 that question, and also ask ourselves a question, and this is you know hindsight's twenty twenty isn't it, of could we have done better in that situation, and you know what? Lots of times the answer is is yes. Um, not to say you didn't do your best when you were in the trenches making that decision but often you reflect and think I should have said, I could have said, I should have done would have done um, and you try and learn from that
0: Cool, excellent well just to encourage Brody to try and watch the West Wing and as a way of summing up this there's a quote from the West Wing that I like that a leader with no followers is just a man or a woman taking a walk so there we go Great stuff. Right, next question we're going to, I'm going to decide, we're going to go to question with a rating of four, and then we're going to finish with two twos. So with a Desmond at the end, as you see. So this is a question from Hazel.
3: Hello, podcasters and listeners. I'm Hazel. Thanks for letting me ask my question, which is Are we supposed to feel any different after our prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit is prayed? Or is it a matter of faith that it is accomplished? Should there not be evidence we can detect? I hate the idea of praying the same daily just in case it is time to top up. It would become meaningless to me. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Bye for now.
0: So that is Hazel's question. Ian, you fancy the first shot of this one?
2: Yeah, it, it's a great question and it's a really practical question um, and in many ways it's, it's quite difficult to, to, to answer this because just thinking about it, you know if you think about Jesus' baptism profound manifestation of the Holy Spirit but there are no feelings really appear to be expressed Um, in that moment, but then there is fruit that immediately happens. So he goes out, he confronts the enemy, and then he comes back, and we have the Nazareth Manifesto in the beginning of his ministry. So um, there is clearly fruit, but that isn't necessarily associated with feelings. Um, So do we have to have a feeling in order to understand that the Holy Spirit has has filled us. I don't think so, but I, I do think that there can be a sense of um a feeling of empowerment or something on on occasions. So I was kinda just I was drawn to Ephesians five eighteen as a kind of go to on being filled with the Spirit. So this is my kind of little response for what it's worth, Hazel. In Ephesians five eighteen The word be filled with the Spirit is an imperative. That means it's a command. We need to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a kind of option for when I feel like it or I feel that I need it. So it's something that is a command. It's in the passive. Um, So that means it's something that happens to us. So we position ourselves in a place where God can do a work upon us. It's also in the present tense. That means it's continuous. It means it's something we need to be involved in doing all the time and interestingly it's also a plural which means it's something we do together so i think um the the whole sense of that is it's something we need to intentionally engage in as regularly as we can and it is my belief and i would suggest my experience that the more intentional i am about the holy spirit ask asking the holy spirit to fill me the more fruit that comes It might not come immediately but it comes over time so Yeah, do it. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you as often as you can, Hazel.
3: Where does faith sit in that, Ian? Because there's the part of it that we are praying and believing that he does, which kind of puts to bed the sense of the sort of experiential nature, which we can get so hung up on.
2: Yeah, we walk by faith, don't we? So actually, pretty much every interaction that we have, or maybe I should say every interaction that we have with the Lord, is a faith interaction, you know, because we are placing our faith in what he has promised. um, And that is our active agency in relation to God. So we place our faith in that and then we act out of faith. So we act believing that we are filled with the spirit. And I think that then I think becomes a bit of a virtuous circle because, you know, as you act in the power of the spirit or, Believing that the spirit's with you, then you sense more of the spirit, and as you sense more of the spirit, so you act more in that. I'd answer the faith question slightly differently,
1: Jackie. Who? Of faith, not as belief or expectation, but to use a word that Ian's already used as alignment, of that walking by faith is, is positional rather than cerebral. Um... It's about placing myself, as Ian said, in that that posture, in that place, where I am, I am in faithful obedience, walking by the Spirit, where I am aligning myself with God's purposes, where my allegiance is to Christ alone. Um, so it's, it's positional and not just, not just cerebral. I love the story of, Blondin, the tightrope walker, and uh, this is back. In the he put up his tightrope, across the Niagara Falls, walked across, did all these amazing tricks, and then stood in front of this huge crowd and said, do you believe Blondini is the greatest? He said, we believe, we believe. He said, do you believe Blondini could carry a man across the tightrope? And said, yes, we believe. He said, and I have a volunteer? And nobody came forward. He ended up taking his manager across. Everybody said they believed. That nobody actually positioned themselves. Um, so it's about how we position ourselves um, as well and I think that's where having kind of like some kind of like regular prayer habit. so I think um, many of us have been learning from uh, other streams of church that are more liturgical, etc because in praying something that I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I'm positioning myself where I need to be before God. And, you know, at times there's that Charles Wesley kind of like, you know, my heart is strangely warm. And at other times, do you know what? It's have my prayers, you know, left the room. And I'm reminded of something my old professor said. And I'm paraphrasing him here. I wish I could remember his exact words. Such wisdom in it of God is often doing his deepest work when he's least visible to us. And we see that in Silent Saturday. Hey, you know, that, that moment between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday of God is... And, we, and going back to where we started, and we sing that in one of our contemporary songs, you know, even when I don't see you, you you're, you're working. Hey, and it's that positioning ourselves hey, in that. So have an expectation position yourself um, and keep pressing on.
0: Excellent well hopefully Hazel that uh, enlightens you as well as the rest of us we have two number two questions to finish so a nice a nice fade fade out for the show we will deal first of all with Jack's question here it is Richard and Ian lost their cool slightly when talking about the Martin Lloyd Jones book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Could you tell me why you were so animated and excited about this? Obviously, it meant a lot to you. I just want to hear your thoughts. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so this is Jack's question specifically to myself and Ian because we raved about a good old book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, if I remember correctly. Uh, you've got, oh, I see. And Ian's got the hardback version. I've only got the paperback. That just shows the fundamental weakness of my faith. No spine. Ian, why is this a favourite of yours? I have to say, it's not
2: a favourite necessarily of mine, <laughs> Um, but I did reference it to try and make a point. Um, But I think what I really um, appreciated about this book, I think when I first read it uh, quite a long time ago, so I I had to sort of struggle to find it on my shelf. But I I think it's actually his approach, which is an approach that we find ourselves, I think, taking to faith a lot more these days, um, which is to see the, the doctrines of our faith as having a practical significance. So I think one of the things that Lloyd-Jones does well in this book is is just to understand that we become what we believe, and actually our beliefs inform uh, our thinking, uh, our emoting, uh, and our acting. And so I guess it's the whole thing about doctrine is practice, and practice is doctrine, that these things are really intertwined. So I think he does a really good job of of bringing those two things together and reminding us that faith is not just cerebral, it's not just a bit information, but it's about formation. And when we believe things, that those beliefs, um, when applied, I think he does that at the application, um, of of a number of different kind of core uh, Christian beliefs, and in doing so, applies it to our emotional psychological. Um, and relational well-being and i think that's i think that's kind of what is is particularly valuable about the book but richard you are the big fan so what do you I think and, and you fan. don't answer many questions so i think this would be a real no, good no, opportunity no. to turn the <laughs> microphone on you
0: one of my favorite books from one of my favorite authors i am particularly a fan of a section of the book quite early on where he does next g sort of mark eight to do with the men as trees walking and it's particularly significant to me this passage because some of you'll know i'm a type 1 diabetic and i wear glasses and actually when i was first diagnosed and first took insulin and sorted my blood sugar i started getting incredible headaches and discovered that it was because for a brief period when i would take my glasses off normally everything would be blurry but I was so poisoned with sugar and all the rest of it that for a brief period, I didn't need to wear my glasses and I could actually take my glasses off and what was blurry became clear and the kind of whole chat that it has around that and the experience of faith and the development of faith, I just found really significant and would encourage everyone to read it. I also have a slight thing about... I have Lloyd Jones's collection of Exegesis of Romans, and it's one of these series of books that just sits on the shelf and intimidates me. And one day, I think I'm, I think I'm like halfway through book one. But one day, for those of you that are familiar with it, one day I'm gonna sit down and spend three weeks just reading all of them, and then I will feel like I've learned something. Hopefully, so no big, big uh, Martin Lloyd Jones fan. So there we go final question then quite a straightforward one and this is from susan can we all share a little bit about our faith story what drew us to jesus and what makes us stay so yeah basically in 20 seconds or 60 seconds or less give us your testimony (laughs) who wants to go first jack you go first
3: oh okay well i was brought up in a christian family and i was very fortunate because the sort of real expression of faith was very real and evident So I never doubted the existence of God. And when I got into my 20s, I was actually dealing with depression and struggled for about five years where I did not lose my faith, but I was not close to God. And then after that, when I rediscovered the joy of being close to God again, it was a very significant moment in my life. And yeah, God has always been real to me. Always, always. Just in varying degrees of closeness.
0: Brody,
1: hey, So I became a Christian when I was five in the bottom bunk bed. I loved the bottom bunk bed. Kicked of my brother above.
3: <laughs> um,
1: and it, it was very real. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the strange kid that can like was going to the weddings, night prayer meetings and things like that. Um, high school was a real struggle because my best friend, Um, His father was an evangelist and they moved to Germany I went to high school. We had to travel on a bus to get to high school and thought this is a new opportunity just to be normal. And I couldn't do it, you know, kind of like folk, like, you know, oh, there's Brody the Bible Thumper kind of thing. But a real point of growth for me in my faith journey was uh, 1988. um, The churches in Inverclyde came together to do a mission and Youth for Christ were brought in to help facilitate that. And as part of that, there was a street evangelism team I started uh, that actually is where I met Alison. And as well as meeting Alison, I met lots of people who asked me questions that I had never thought of, because a bit like Jack just said, you know, um, for me, God always existed. And then to have people who can, like, question that or ask hard questions, and that really caused me to kind of, like, rethink my faith and and have deep roots. And what keeps me? um, So I like the music of Andrew Peterson and there's one of his songs and I can't remember which. It's one of the things when you listen to music on your phone you don't know what the name's called. It's not like you get an album cover and you can see who the drummer was and things like that, Richard. (laughs) Um, But there's a song in which he has a line where he says, I've seen too much. I've seen too much. And at times when kind of like, I'm like Does God really exist? And all that sort of thing, you're like, yeah, I know he does because I've seen too much. I've seen what he's he's done. You know, if in a particular dry period of even stories that my mum and dad would tell me of stuff that they'd seen God do, amazing stuff and whatnot, I've seen too much. And therefore, I can't believe in his goodness, even when a bit, you know, back to Hazel's question of, you know, do I always feel it? No. No, sometimes they don't feel it, but I know his goodness is, is there in his faith.
2: Ian? Yeah, hard to beat that one, isn't it? Um, yeah, so my journey brought up small West Highland uh, village. Um, family were Christians, uh, went to a little Baptist church. Um, I, about so through the years 19, 11, 12, had a just growing sense that I was outside of something that other people were inside that I didn't have a relationship with, with God. Um, God bless the Church of Scotland. I found out I wasn't a Christian through the Church of Scotland and then <laughs> went to a, a summer mission, beach mission kind of thing and made a commitment to Christ uh, at, at that and kind of got involved again with um, the Baptist church. I was baptised um, on the same night as my mum and my dad. And they kind of had, sort of came to a sort of, I guess, recommitment at that sort of point. Um, through high school, I was pretty much the only Christian, um, certainly in my year, um, really pretty tough time, um, managed to hang on, really came back to a kind of recommitment when I found out there were actually other young people who were Christians uh, when I went to university. Um and just through did a bunch of missions and things which kind of really hammered down my faith. Um and then I was in engineering. This is really potted history, gosh. Um and uh felt a kind of call to serve God. Um and long story short, God did a real number on me. I had a real a number of really um physical, radical encounters with the Holy Spirit when I went to Bible college, and that kind of just really re redid my whole faith from the inside out in a very uh, different kind of way. Um, what keeps me going, I think, like Brody, I've seen too much. Too much has happened. Um, I've uh, just seen God, known God at work in lots of ways. I think the thing I would add to that is I have always found when I've come up against a conundrum, the bible's been my best friend so actually when I've been struggling with something um I've kind of found my way into um reading scripture and reading people's reflections on scripture and I've actually found that that has opened up a richer seam of understanding and an awareness so maybe just a kind of comment to people if you are struggling not that you'll necessarily find you know I, I kind of pull out a verse of scripture and it'll answer all your questions, but more that just in in wrestling with scripture, um, I've found just something more of depth and, and understanding and clarity and awareness of God's presence. So that's been a real sustainer for
0: me. My story is very simple. 1991, Billy Graham, Cliff Richard night. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and what mainly keeps me going, to be honest, Joe, is coffee. But, uh, <laughs> oh, you're so bad.
3: <laughs> I I didn't actually answer that. What keeps me going, but and I would like to agree with both Ian and Brody. I mean, apart from the fact that I tried life without him and it did not work. Um, just the, the reality of of I've I have known too much in my life that he has redeemed that nobody else could have.
2: And just a big shout out to 1991 Celtic Park and Billy Graham. I think it brings us full circle because I think Hazel's comment about. Do you feel God at work every time God's at work? Um, my big takeaway, I was kind of given responsibility for being the, the, the bus marshal for taking a group of people. And so I kind of had a bunch of people. I remember standing on the stands, and it was standing on the stands in the cold and concrete, um, thinking it's not very much going on here. It's not, this is not the best Christian meeting I've been to. Um, and then the altar call coming out. And people all around me and all around the stadium, just going to the front, and you're thinking, good grief, this is God at work, and God's doing an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, that was... um, That time was the kickoff of my ministry. It's when I just started in ministry, and um, I spent the first few months of my ministry following up um, people who'd made commitments at that Billy Graham meeting in 1991. So, um, yeah, God... you can't undo it as as Brodie says. We've seen too much, um, and you know we saw amazing fruit there, and there was no, uh, no necessarily any great emotional, uh, or feelings, um, kind of on display. So it was just a remarkable event. So yeah, big shout out for nineteen ninety one Celtic Park.
0: It's about the Eiffel Tower where they say that if you stand at the Eiffel Tower, you'll eventually meet everyone you've ever known. A bit like Celtic Park, nineteen ninety one. Every Christian you've ever known he was alive. There was was there at some stage <laughs> during that period. Great stuff. Well, thank you everybody for sending your questions. Sorry if we didn't get to answer any. We're, I think, gonna do this again because this was great fun. So please do keep sending in questions. Uh, I was gonna say podcast at Queen's Park Baptist Church, but that's not right. Send them to office at qpbc.org or hit us up on the spotify app or just tap me or jack or either the guys on the shoulder on any given sunday and hand them or get them to record a question on their mobile phone but thank you very much for sending them any final quick thoughts a few seconds
3: ian Brody jack i just feel like we should spend more time delving into ian and Brody's stories because it just sounds great <laughs>
0: I think I i think I want to see them playing a board game against each other. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'd have to choose it's scary. So I'm scarred by as a dyslexic. My my mother, poor mother, tried to get me to like learn to spell by playing Scrabble and things like that. It was just torture. It was just torture. So I'm I'm not a huge board games fan. I sometimes I'll go and hang out with the M. Jenners and things like that, and they play this game called Dutch Blitz. I am just far too slow. I always come last.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ian, favourite board game?
2: Uh, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I'm a bit of a Wordle fan. I don't know if that counts. Um, so uh, yeah, d- uh, my daily Wordle. I haven't done it today, but I will be doing it soon. Um, so that's my kind of shout out. I, I think final comment. Uh, amazing questions, everybody. Really, really appreciate yeah. those questions and lovely to hear everybody's voices. So uh, that was really great as well. The people, a uh, bunch of people actually recorded. So um, we're always open to more of those questions and they're... I was going to say great fun, but as everybody knows, I'm I'm sweat like crazy when we do this, so I'm really stressed <laughs> by this. Um, but uh, apart from that, I think it was helpful.
0: <laughs> great, Stafford. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.